good to be in God's house tonight? Isn't it good to have the hope of heaven tonight? With all the turmoil and everything that's going on in our nation, we are not of this country. Amen. We seek a better country. Oh, hallelujah. Peter said, but the end of all things is at hand. Watch therefore unto prayer. And he said, also be sober. It's time to be here. It's time to be on fire. And it's time to look up because our redemption, it draweth nigh. There's not a political party that can save us. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We don't know what the future holds, but tonight we know who holds the future. So good to be here with brother and sister Firstburn and this great congregation. I can see this place full. Amen. But what you have to do, you have to take dominion over spirits that are in this area. You have to conquer them through prayer and fasting. Oh, hallelujah. And people will walk through that door and say, I don't know why I came. But God's spirit will draw them in. God can move any way that he wants to. I remember a, a lady evangelist years ago, she was holding a revival in Elkhart, I believe it was. And uh, they, they dismissed church and a family was going by the parking lot and the spirit came down on some folks and they just started dancing out in the parking lot. And them folks drove by and they said, did you see that? And they said, we've got to check this thing out. So they were in church Sunday night. And guess what? They got an old-fashioned dose of the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. So be encouraged. The Bible says your work and labor is not in vain. You can't even give a cup of water to a disciple and not receive a reward. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, I know that's a different connotation, but you sow every time you reap. So church, just keep sowing the good seed. Just keep sowing prayer. Just keep sowing fasting. Just keep sowing Bible studies and Bible reading. Because in due season, you're going to reap if you faint not. Oh, hallelujah. But say, I'm going to reap. Woo, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to reap if you faint not. Just keep on pressing. Just keep on pushing. Just keep on praising God. Hallelujah. Because he is faithful. Woo! Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Come on, let's give him praise tonight. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. He's still moving. He's still moving. Thankful for what God's doing thankful for what he's doing. I'm thankful for what God's doing in our young people. Thankful for what God's doing in our children. I'm thankful for that this whole side was full this morning from the vans and the bus. And I'm thankful for what he's doing. I can't wait to, to get the text message. Pastor, we got kids getting the Holy Ghost in Sunday school. I believe it's going to happen in 2021. I'll take it a step further. I believe it can happen in the first quarter of 2021. I believe it can happen in the first month of the first quarter of 2021. 
I'm waiting for the attacks, Pastor. They're getting the Holy Ghost in youth class. He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. In Jesus' name, I'm thankful for what God is doing in our young people. I want Brother Isaiah to come tonight and share what the Lord has laid on his heart. I'm expecting God to do great things tonight in Jesus' name. Oh, lift up your hands and give him a shout of praise tonight. Oh, come on. I know we can do better than that. Come on, give him some praise. He's worthy of it. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. We give you praise, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on. Come on. Oh, we love you, Jesus. All right. If my passage tonight is Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. If you'd like to get your Bibles, you can. If not, do whatever. I don't care. Shout amen when you're there. Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Pergia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into some weird name, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mesia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed, unto, prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Skip down to verse 12. Hang on a minute. I lost my place. There we go. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which were resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyrecha. Sorry, I just zoomed out. I just lost my place again. Which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us unto the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the woman, or to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Skip down to verse 22. I know it's a lot, but I'm almost done. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, 
they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. I would like to preach tonight with the help of the Holy Ghost. That, that dungeon will be broken. Put down your Bibles and lift you up your hands and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you, God. Thank you for your doing, Jesus. God, give me strength to preach this tonight, God. Give everyone sensitivity, God, and help them to receive it in their spirit tonight, God. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Oh, that's it. Clap your hands up to the Lord tonight. Give him some praise. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. We all know the story very well, so I won't belabor the point tonight. But Paul and Silas were having a good day. They're having revival. They're on their way to prayer. Then came a test. God often sends us tests in order to test our faith. A demon-possessed woman came and made a distraction. It goes back to what Pastor preached on Wednesday, the art of distraction and the devil of distractions. What she said was true, but that didn't matter. Even if she was speaking the truth, it was still a distraction. It was to get the children of God's mind off of what was really important. Paul and Silas were men of God as well as the others who were there. And they would show you the way to heaven or the way of salvation. Paul finally had enough and cast the spirit out of the woman or commanded it to come out and God cast it out. Then her masters could no longer make any money. So they got upset. Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. They prayed and sang praises to God. Then all the prisoners were freed because of the earthquake. Your praise to God will affect more than just you. Your decisions that you make in life won't just affect you. If you decide to backslide, it won't just affect you. It'll affect everyone who looks up to you. Young man, young lady, I've been hurt because of people who backslide. But you know what? I didn't give up. I've determined in my mind that I'm going to live for God no matter what happens. No matter what goes on in my life, I'm going to live for God. Some of you in 2020 were discouraged, about ready to throw in the towel backslide. But let me tell you, I serve a God of second chances. Ask Jonah. Jonah was told to preach to Nineveh. But you know what? He ran away. He ran in the opposite direction. And you know what? God brought him back. He said, hey, you may want to backslide, but you're not. You're not going to yet. And then he did it. He preached. And Jonah was discouraged and had a bad attitude. You know all know the story there. In 2 Kings chapter 18, a king named Hezekiah comes to the scene. He comes onto the throne. In verse 4, we can see what he did. He threw down the altars and all that stuff that were to the false gods. He was having revival. But when all is going well, the devil comes to the scene. About this time, the Assyrians were expanding their empire. If you guys know history, you know that they were once a major world power at that point. Sennacherib was their king at this point, and he decided to try to conquer Judah. 2 Kings 18, 
28. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and honey, that ye may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? It's getting cocky. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of other weird names, Hina and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand. Go to the next chapter, chapter 19. We're going to start with verse 1 and skip around a little bit. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went to the house of the Lord. He was discouraged because of what was said. Skip down to verse 9. And when he heard say of Terkatha, king of Ethiopia, behold, he has come out to fight against thee. He sent messengers again unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Syria. Behold, thou hast heard what the king of Assyria have done to all lands, by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozen and Haran and Rezpah and the children of Eden, which were in Telsassar? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad and the king of the city of Sharpivim, of Hina and Eva? And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. The phrase there, spread it before the Lord, means that he prayed. He went to the house of God and prayed. There is something that happens when we call the name of Jesus. There's something that happens when a child of God starts proclaiming things that haven't happened yet. Breakthroughs, miracles, healing signs and wonders will happen when we start to call his name. When a child of God starts to say the name of Jesus, strongholds are broken. Philippians 2.18, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, came obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Going back to 2 Kings chapter 19, go to verse 20. Then Isaiah the son of Amos stood sent to Hezekiah, saying, 
Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. I have heard. I'm not going to read all of God's re entire response. It starts in verse 20 and goes all the way down to verse 34. Go to verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Verse 35, and this is what happens when someone gets cocky and starts going against the child of God. And it came to pass that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians and a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead, corpses. That dungeon of whatever you made can and will be broken. There is no devil big enough in hell to stop you once you made up your mind to have that dungeon broken. God is calling someone to the altars tonight to get that dungeon broken. He's saying, hey, I want to help you, but you haven't asked me yet. Once a child of God has determined to break that altar, they all they have to do is come up to the altar and start repenting of all their sins. And if they're truly sorrowful, they'll get the Holy Ghost and they'll have all power. That life of sin only leads to death and destruction. Lift up the name of Jesus tonight. Come on. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Oh, thank you for what you're doing, Jesus. Come on, that's it. Why don't we give God thanks for the things that he's done in our life? It doesn't matter what you're facing tonight. It doesn't matter the circumstance, the situation. God is able. The prophet said to the king, he said, God wants you to know that he's heard your prayer. He's heard your prayer. What great words to hear from God. I have heard. Those 14 verses, everything that God spoke, summed up in that first, that first phrase, I have heard. In Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight to the book of Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, beginning at verse 1. Thank you, Jesus. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven. And will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge 
my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 12, then Isaac, thank you, Brother Gray, for confirming the word of the Lord. Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possessions of flocks and possession of herds, and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. The man waxed great, grew until he became very great. The Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth going to preach tonight the worth of the well the worth of the well let's put our Bibles down let's go before the Lord again tonight in prayer Lord we love you God I thank you for your spirit that has been so evident in here tonight God I thank you for your people and I thank you for the confirmation of the word of the Lord that we've already heard God, I thank you for the word of the Lord that we've already partaken of. But God, I pray, Lord, that the work would not be finished tonight. But God, I pray that your, your spirit would have free course, free reign in this house. God, we take the limits off. We remove the restraints. God, I pray that from this point forward tonight, that there would be an unrestrained spirit that flows through this place, the, that the Spirit of God would be completely unrestrained, God, that you would have your way in whatever way you deem necessary tonight. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, you're mighty, you're worthy, you're holy. Come on, that's it. Let's clap our hands unto him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated tonight. The worth of the well. We find in the first five verses of Genesis 26 that the promise which God had given to Abraham is being transferred uh, or transcending, we could say, on to his son Isaac. That it was not just a promise to Abraham, but we understand that Isaac was part of that promise. Don't you find it interesting that that when God began to deal with man as an individual to create a people, it's, it was not just for one generation, but it was for the following generation and the generation after that until we get all the way to Acts chapter 2 and verses 38 and 39 where he said the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's the way that it is, and that's the way that it began, that God is interested in a relationship with multiple generations. God is interested in a relationship with me, but he's also interested in a relationship with my children and their children and their children after them. Isaac is being made aware of the things that he had only heard about from his father. He had heard tell of 
Ur of the Chaldees. He had heard tell of Haran. He had heard about his grandfather, Terah. He had heard how God had promised Abram and Sarai in their old age a lineage and posterity. But now he is the living proof that the word of God does not fail. He is living proof that God has a plan. And so now the rubber is meeting the road and he's getting a first-hand account of Jehovah who's becoming more than just a ram in a thicket. He's becoming more than the God who provides himself a sacrifice. But he's getting a revelation that God wants to be more than just my Savior. God wants to be more than just a get-out-of-jail-free card. God wants to be more than just a one-time fancy but God wants to be my Lord and my Savior. And when you allow Him to be Lord, there are more provisions and there are more blessings than you could ever imagine. There are things that attach themselves to that lifestyle of living for God. Isaac is getting firsthand revelation. Isaac is no longer living upon daddy's revelation. Isaac is, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Isaac is no longer living on mom and dad's relationship with God. But Isaac is getting a revelation of who Jehovah is for himself. Yes, he got revelation on Mount Moriah. He's my Savior. Abraham got, said God's going to provide Himself, a sacrifice. You've heard me preach it. God is going to provide Himself as a sacrifice was the future connotation. But that experience that he had, Sister Sherry, was an experience that he had with God and his Father. It's an experience that he had alongside Abraham as a young man. But now God is speaking to Isaac as Abraham's bones are chilling in a cave. And now Isaac is getting revelation of who God wants to be. Not just for my daddy, but I'm getting a revelation of who God wants to be for me. I pray tonight that before this service is over, we've got some young people that get a revelation of who God wants to be for me in spite of what mom and dad do, in spite of who he is to mom and dad. I want a revelation of who he is to me. God reveals himself during a famine. Isaac, notice the instruction that God gives to Isaac. Say, hey, there's a, there's a famine in the land. This is not the same famine. This is not the same famine that happened in Abraham's day. But Brother Gray, it's a, it's an, a famine in Isaac's day. Oh, Daddy lived through a famine, but I, I know how Daddy said that they got through that famine. Notice in verse 2, God's instructions. Don't go down to Egypt. It was the wheel spinning in Isaac's mind. 
You find, we're not going there tonight, but there, there's so much here to preach. I'm just going to skim through some things. You find that Isaac is living after the pattern of Abraham. But it's not just the good, it's also the bad and the ugly. You, you read verses 6 through verse 11, how Abraham had, uh, or I'm sorry, how Isaac had a wife who was smoking. She was. Bible says that Rebecca was a looker. They're living with the Philistines. Abimelech, a different Abimelech. Like 87 years have passed, I think is what I read today. And now Isaac's repeating the actions of his dad. He said, hey, who's the babe? She's my sister. Isaac said it. And so God in verse 2 is addressing. He's addressing the things that are instilled in Isaac by what he knows of his father. Well, daddy, when there was a famine, mom and dad went down to Egypt. Uh, Rebecca, I think it's time for us to go down to Egypt. But God is saying, no, I'm going to nip that in the bud. Uh, you got to understand, uh, Isaac, that when they were in Egypt, they picked up a Hagar. And that's where your half-brother Ishmael came from. I don't want you uh, to go down to Egypt. Uh, that same famine could have turned out much differently. Uh, the famine that caused Abraham and Sarah, they, it caused them to go down into Egypt. But God spoke to Isaac. And I'm paraphrasing. This is the Pastor Fishburne translation. I know that Abraham went down into Egypt and that may seem like a plausible common sense answer to your dilemma. But God said, I don't want you to go down. I've not designed you to go down. I, in times of famine, I've not designed you to feed yourself with the things of the world I've not created you to get pleasure in sin I've not created you I've not created you to find substance through the land of Egypt but you're going to go into the land that I tell you and I'll make you prosper in spite of the famine in spite of the famine God said I'm going to make you prosper Sojourn in this land, and I'll be with you. I'll bless you. For unto you and unto your seed, I'll give all these countries. We start hearing verbiage like, I will perform. I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven. I'm going to give unto your seed all these countries. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Prophetic of a Messiah that would come. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice. But now, Isaac, it's not just Abraham who is required to obey my voice. That's why I'm speaking to you. That's why I'm revealing myself to you. I'm not revealing myself to you in Abraham's day only. I'm revealing myself to you in your day. He said, I'm a God who was there. I'm here now. I'll be there in the future. But I, I like Abraham, listen to me. Like Abraham kept my charge and my commandments. He said, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know if the next generation is going to remember how to hearken unto the voice of the living God. Then Isaac sowed in that land. Received in the same year and hundredfold. In one year and hundredfold. 
and the Lord blessed him. You know what that tells me? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I know you're living with the Philistines. Ah, I promise you we're going to go somewhere. Let me just hop on this bike and pedal it for a minute. I know you're living through a famine. But if you'll determine in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, God, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to sow in times of plenty, and I'm going to sow in times of want. But God, I believe that you're a man of your word. I believe you're a God of your word. He said, is there anything too hard? No, I'm going to bless you in spite of a famine. I'm going to make it when it doesn't make sense. It's going to be a God thing. I said, it's going to be a God thing. When man looks at it, they can't figure it out. Man can't figure out how this building at 943 Swan Street has become a church. But let me tell you, God can. Okay, let me, let me, I understand some of you guys need more proof. Heath, I text my wife today. I said, you know what? Sometimes I just have a hard time seeing it through the eyes of a completed work. Brother Gray, one of the first things he said when he grabbed that microphone is, I see this place fall. I didn't tell him that. He's not heard that message. But is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. And Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him in spite of the famine. And the man waxed great and went forward. But you're living with the Philistines. How are you going to go forward? I'm putting one foot in front of the other. If you'll listen to my command, if you'll follow my law, if you'll follow my statute. He said, I'm fixing to pour out a blessing that you don't have room to contain. And the man waxed great and went forward and he grew until he became very great. Some of y'all have great jobs, but God wants you to have very great jobs. Some of y'all have great ministries, but God I want you to have great ministries. How much do you want? For he had possession of flocks, possession of herds, and great store of servants. What does that mean? That means he had more than he could use at one time. These servants were over here working, and these servants were over here taking a break. He had shifts of servants. And the Philistine envied him. Isn't it about time that the world looks at the church and says, man, I want what they've got. You see, God kept his end of the bargain in spite of the famine. 
God is not predicated by famines. Isaac was blessed because he obeyed. Isaac was blessed because he didn't go down to Egypt. Was he perfect? No. Jacob got a little of his deception from his daddy. She's my sister. You read the rest of those verses. Abimelech looks down and he sees it. Isaac and Rebekah sporting. I don't recommend reading that in the Message Bible. I didn't try it. Just don't. God poured out abundant blessing. In fact, he was blessed and hundredfold. We find the same principle used in the New Testament. You see, it's not just an Old Testament. No. It's not just a dispensation of promise thing. But Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold. So he said, Well, I'm just going to see it when I get to heaven. That's not what that verse says. He said, You're going to see it in this time. You're going to see it in this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecution. And in the world to come, eternal life. He said when you take part of the kingdom of God, if you got family that doesn't like it, welcome to a new family. We want them to be saved. But I've got more family now living for God than I ever have. That's why I can, I'm can. i closer to my church family than I am my natural family. Why? He said, I promise you, there's a law in the spirit that you cannot outdive God. Every sacrifice is noted by God. And God keeps perfect records become part of an everlasting extended family. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it's impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Isaac was diligently seeking God. So in verse 15 Find for all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father. The Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Even though the Philistines could have used the water for themselves. And they would use some. They would have used some for themselves, but not in abundance like the herdsmen of Isaac. Not in abundance like the other who lived the, the Bedouin tribal lifestyle would have used. They stopped the wells because they didn't want anybody moving in on their turf. They didn't want anyone else to be able to use them. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier 
that way we don't know what to do with you anymore. Isaac departed thence and pitched in the valley of Gerar and dwelled there. Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. Abraham had been in covenant with the Abimelech. It was a title used for the king, the dignitary of the time, and there was a different Abimelech. And Abraham had been in a treaty with him, and so after Abraham died, they began to stop up the wells, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. You see, Isaac understood that my future depends on redigging the wells that my daddy had dug. He revived. He, he used the original names that his father had given them. And today as I began to read and I began to study, I, I asked myself why in the world would the Philistines have stopped up the well? You see, the Philistines were not sheep herders like the Israelites would become. But the, the Philistines were a seafaring people who made strides in the development of weaponry. They needed that weaponry because they were pillagers. What is it to pillage, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. The, to pillage is the, the act of looting or plundering, especially in war. And so the Philistines were not professional shepherds. They had a little cattle, but they did not wander through the wilderness from grassland to grassland. They were destroyers, not growers. They were pillagers, not pilgrims. Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. It wasn't just a seeping through of moisture that would cause the ground to hold a little bit of water, but this was a water source. It was what could be referred to by the shepherd as living water. That wasn't even a Bible reference that I read that from, Brother Gray. That was just a, a, a shepherd's guide. It's what is called living water because it's not just seeping up out of the ground. It's not just groundwater, but there's a source there. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. Call the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. Esek means contention or opposition. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he named, or he called the name of it Sitna, which means enmity. You see, for the herdsmen, Water rights were critical to survival. You read back through history, even the history of the United States and the settling of the West, the, the settlers had to be careful that they did not just buy the land, but they also bought the rights to the water and the minerals because you could own the land and not be allowed to use the water. According to the shepherd author Philip Keller, he said, although sheep thrive in dry, semi-arid country, they still require water. It's critical. 
See, sheep are not like the African gazelle, which can survive fairly well on just the amount of moisture found in natural foraging. But it's noticed in Psalm 23, when David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. It's noticed that the key to where water can be obtained lies with the shepherd. It is the shepherd who knows where the best drinking places are. Water is necessary for the life of the sheep. The body of an animal such as a sheep is composed of about 70% water on average. Water is used to maintain normal body metabolism. It is a portion of every molecular cell. It contributes to the ability of those cells to perform their normal function. Why were the wells so important to Isaac? Water determines the vitality, strength, the vigor of the sheep. It's essential to its health and its general well-being. Isaac understood that if the supply of water for an animal dries off, then dehydration sets in. The dehydration of the bodily tissues can result in serious damage. The animal becomes weak and impoverish. Thirst indicates the need of the body to have its water supply replenished. But the water supply cannot be replenished from an internal source. The water supply must be replenished outside of itself. When sheep are thirsty, they become restless. They set out in search of water to satisfy their thirst. If they're not led, this is Philip Keller still speaking, if they're not led to good water supplies of clean, pure water, they will often end up drinking from polluted potholes where they can pick up internal parasites. I'll save you the descriptive of exactly what happens when parasites begin to invade the body of those animals. In Matthew 5 and verse 6, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The problem is that when people get thirsty, when they realize that there is a void in their life, they often do not turn to the right places to fill the void. They turn to other voices. They look on the internet for someone who has followers. And surely that's a place that I can drink from. And before they know it, their spirit is suffering from some disease-ridden doctrine. They look and they say, you know what? That guy's got a platform. Surely it's safe for me to listen to that. But let me warn you today that you cannot trust every pothole that's filled with water. Philip Keller says this. He said, generally speaking, water for the sheep comes from three main sources. Dew on the grass. Deep wells or springs and streams. Most people are not aware that sheep 
can go for months on end. As long as the weather's nice without actually drinking. If there's a heavy dew on the grass that they are eating each morning, they'll be okay for a while. In fact, there's a habit instilled into sheep where they will rise just before the dawn and start to feed when the dew is still thick on the grass. If there's a bright moon, they may even graze throughout the night when the grass is heavy with dew. The good shepherd, the diligent manager, makes sure that his sheep can be out and grazing on this dew-drenched grass. And it works well as long as the weather is nice. As long as the temperature is cool. And as long as the breeze is blowing. And as long as the grass is green. And as long as things are quiet. And as long as our bodies are full, and as long as our stomachs are not hungry, then everything seems to be right. But when the weather is dry and the temperature gets hot, there must be a well that has been dug deeply. You see, Isaac is not redigging the wells when the weather's right and when the weather's nice, but there's something instilled in this man Isaac who said, I know that we live in a family and the status quo just will not cut it. God's not looking for fair weather Christians who know just how to get through when the things are right. But let me preach to you tonight that we survived 2020. We move forward because we've learned how to dig a well. We've got to learn how to dig a well that's not affected by the heat of the day, that's not affected by the dryness of night because I've tapped in to something that's not just emotional hype. I've tapped into something that goes beyond my comfort zone. I've tapped into something that man cannot see from the surface, but I've been willing to get my hands dirty. I've been willing to get down in a hole. I've been willing to hand buckets of dirt out. I've been willing to join the bucket brigade because I've been, I've been desiring some depth. Well, grass tastes so good. If I was a sheep, I'd probably agree with you. Man, when it's cool out, and that dew is just right, bite into that grass. It's just got that little crunch to it. It feels so good going down cold. But what happens when I wake up graze? I'm talking like a sheep here now. And my back's dry. What happens 
when I wake up and it's still dark, but there's a warm wind that's blowing across his grassland. What happens when I look up and the shepherd's up? He's got his hands in the grass. He's pulling in his hair. Man, what are we going to do? Let's just break it down to where we live. And the shepherd's thinking, man, what's going to happen for the next four years with an election that I didn't see coming? I mean, we did, but we were hopeful. I mean, what happens now when biblical values are not the norm, they're the abnorm? What's going to happen now when, when I take that bite of grass and, man, it's like chewing on sandpaper? How much is the well worth now? How much is the well worth? And so Abraham had dug some wells and the Philistines had come along because they didn't need the wells. We're just going to go pillage. We're just going to go raid. We're just going to go take. We're just going to go beat people up. We're just going to go pillage. We don't need these wells. And the world's saying, I don't eat that garbage. Daniel, what are you talking about? Everybody eats the king's meat. Shadrach, Meshach, everybody's bowing down. What are you talking about? How much is the well worth now? How much is that walk with God worth now when I've got peace in my mind and everybody else is losing theirs? How much is the well of holiness worth now? How much is the well of that prayer life worth now when I've when my world's shaking and everything feels like it's coming apart at the seams and I feel like losing my mind but there's a well that my daddy dug Philistine said, ah, you just shut up and eat the meat. Why do you want to mess around with those nasty sheep anyway? Just dumb. Just dumb animals. We don't need these wells. We're not going to go out there wandering through a wilderness. We're seafaring people. We love the water. Salt spray in our hands, in our faces, in our hair. I mean, just imagine the Philistines landing on some island somewhere ready to pillage and Goliath jumps off. Starts screaming and scaring the children. That's who they were. We don't need these wells. You guys are nuts. What are you, Amish? We don't live that way. Nobody lives that way anymore. And all of a sudden, the atmosphere changes. And Isaac said, you know what? God, you told me not to go down to Egypt in the famine. That must mean that there's enough in this land to get me through the famine. And so let me tell you what I believe had happened. I believe 
that we need to follow Abraham's example. Isaac knew where the wells that Abraham had dug were. Isaac also knew that the Philistines had stuffed those wells full of rocks, full of dirt, full of earth. But Isaac understood, you know what? I know that at the bottom of that hole, I know it's not pretty. I know it's going to be some work. But there's water down there, boys. I know the grass is dry. I know the wind is hot. I know it's dry outside. I know you got dust clinging to the inside of your nose. But if you'll shake the dust off long enough and you'll pass me a shovel, there's some water at the bottom of that hole. You see, I believe that the people of God have grown too complacent. We just want to roll around in the dew-covered grass. I just want to take what comes easily. But God's saying, no, you're not living in a day where you can just take what's easy. Days of easy come have turned into easy go. Abraham, with his shovel, with his servant, learn dig well. And we've learned how to come into the house of God, parents, I'm preaching to the parents and grandparents today. Right now. We've learned through the years. Yes. We we are living in perilous times. Are they the first perilous times we've seen? No. They're quite different. But you know, you've heard me say, God, this didn't catch God by surprise. We've grown, we've experienced miracles in 2020. You know I'm thankful for that. We were able to give all of those things. Somewhere along the way, Abraham had looked at his shovel, Sister Angie, and he said, you know what? This shovel looks good in my hands. You know where else it looked good? In Isaac's hands. So Isaac, Dad's not going to be the only one who knows how to dig wells. You catching what I'm saying yet? This activity of Isaac. He said, you know, I'm going to start out by digging the wells that my dad had dug. And they're wells of living water. And he digs that first well. And the water's bubbling out again. That's easily accessible again. And here comes the Philistines. And he's frustrated. There's contention. And so he names the place contention. And he moves on to the next one. He said, okay, fine. You know what? You can have that one. It's not worth fighting about right now. I just need some water from my sheep. You can just go ahead and be the bully that you are. And he goes on and he digs the second one. 
And just about the time they get the first load of water out, here comes over the hill those contemptuous Philistines. And now it's gone from contempt, and now he's naming the place hatred. Look, there's an anger that's burning on the inside of Isaac. God, I'm tired of digging wells and having them taken away from me. And these past two wells, these are the wells that my father dug, and I remembered where they were, and I came and I dug those out. I remembered the feel of the shovel in my hand, and now he moves off, uh, some say about 40 miles, and he digs another well. And this is a first well that he had dug that was not his father's well. And now he's saying, God has made room for us. Ample space rather than fighting over those old existing wells, Isaac digs a new well. Parents, I typed this out so this would be more eloquent than what I just said. Yes, we've got to dig wells of spiritual life for ourselves and our families. That's a must. That's why we put out weekly family devotions. Because we're digging wells for our kids. We're digging wells so our kids understand, hey, we can have a relationship with God at home. The voice of God in my life is my pastor, but my mom and my dad also sound a whole lot like my pastor does. That's a must. However, we do our children a great disservice if the shovel is only known to our hands. Sometimes, parents, we've got to learn how to relinquish the shovel. I can't always give my children the spiritual advice I know they need. The spiritual advice I know that's right for them, but sometimes I gotta put my arm around them and I gotta walk them over to the tool shed. I gotta walk them into the garage and I gotta grab that old shovel that's falling apart. That old shovel that needs, uh, that needs sharpened. That shovel that needs refinished. And I gotta grab that shovel and I gotta watch over them as they learn how to dig their own wells. I gotta walk them into a prayer room and I gotta say, listen, son, listen, baby, this is how we pray daddy can't tell you what you need to do but there's a God in heaven how much is that well worth Abraham I know you're tired I know you got blisters on your hands I know that digging wells isn't very fun now that your boy remembers where those wells are in times of famine, what's the worth of that well? How many more blisters would you take, Mama? How many more blisters would you take, Daddy? Sometimes i got to tell my babies nothing, and I've got to show them how to hear from God on their own. I've got to let my babies become spiritually responsible. I can't... I, I feel the Holy Ghost right. Parents, sometimes you got to yank the spiritual pacifier out of their mouth, take their binky and their baby doll and say, come to the altar. Let me teach you how to pray. Let me teach you how to fast. 
Oh, pastor, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard, but that's how we get through famines. I've got a responsibility to teach my children the worth of the well. But pastor, I enjoy it when the dew is on the grass and it's cool and it's crunchy and it tastes good. I do too. Man, I love coming to church and it's like before the first note even hits, the people are just hopping and popping and climbing the walls and biting the ceilings. I love that. That's not all. That's not all. It's not always how living for God is. There's a time in my life before I was a pastor of this church, we were at that last building. And I remember the man of God, Angelus, he called me to the front. My dad, who was my pastor at the time, Brother Willis, who would become my pastor we're both on each side of me and I remember that man of God speaking over me and my father he said something to the tune of most of you weren't there some of you were you probably don't remember something to the tune of Elder Fishburne don't ever doubt productivity of your ministry. Because of your example, you taught your son how to live for God through the hard time. Through the famine. Parents got responsibility. Son, I know the shovel is uncomfortable. I know that your hands are going to hurt. I know that your lips are going to crack. Dryness. Because you don't have to dig wells in luscious places. I know you're going to sweat until your body chafes. I know you're going to sweat until your head hurts. Until you feel like collapsing, you're going to work. But I promise you, There's coming a day when others are having to go without that you're going to see the worth of the well. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Paul writes, he said, Wherefore, my beloved, 
as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is speaking to the Philippian church and he's calling them, my beloved, you've got a special place in my heart. You're my spiritual children. Paul's letting them know that they have what it takes to hear from God on their own. Not that they don't need Him, but he said, you've learned how to live for God with me, and now you need to learn how to live for God in my absence. You're my beloved spiritual children, but you're not weaklings, and you're not underlings, but you're children of God, submitted to the man of God. It's as if Paul has spent his time in walking with them while they've taken the training wheels off the bicycle. And Paul said, all right, son, get on. It's time for you to learn how to pedal on your own. And he took the one wheel off, and it's wobbly. And and that child's got to learn how not to lean on the one wheel, but he's got to learn how to balance and Paul's been following the Philippian church down the sidewalk. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. But by the time he writes this chapter in Philippians, he's taken the other training wheel off and he's given them a little push and he said, now you can do it in my absence. Learn how to live for God in my house. Now, you got to learn how to ride. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You're going to discover the worth of the well. I wonder how Abraham would have felt Had he seen the day when Isaac was not just great, but very great. When Isaac had it going on, he had flocks, he had herds, he had stores of servants. But there was a famine. And just because he had a fat bank account didn't mean he couldn't know or shouldn't know, rather, how to dig a well. Because without the well, Isaac, everything and everyone who's depending on you will die of thirst. I imagine in my mind as they're traveling to that place, that first well that they get to. And they've got camels and donkeys loaded down with skins of water. And they're trying to ration it out because he thinks he knows how far the distance is. But, you know, I just, I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what shape the well's going to be in when we get there. I know we got some work to do when we get there. And, and maybe the water ran out along the way. Or, or maybe they got there and then the water begins to dwindle before they can get it, uh, get the well dug back out. And he's looking around at his sheep and he's looking around at his shepherds and, and they're catching the sheep and they're, they're keeping them from drinking from the potholes filled with water. Abraham, if you hadn't taught Isaac how to dig a well, 
would have learned how to drink from parasitic puddle. Genesis 26. Verse 23, and he went up thence from Beersheba. The Lord appeared unto him the same night. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I'm with you. I'll bless you. I'll multiply your seed for Abraham's sake. And Isaac built there an altar. Called upon the name of the Lord. Pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. And here comes old Abimelech, come from his kingdom in Gerar, and one of his friends and the captain of his army. Verse 26, and Isaac walks out to the edge of his tent and he says, why in the world are you here? Long story short, Abimelech comes to make a treaty with him. They get up the next morning. Isaac sends them away. They departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day. Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged and said unto him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. The significance of that is that Many believe that Beersheba was closely uh, located next to Mount Moriah or even partway up Mount Moriah. It's the place where Isaac had gone with Abraham. And Abraham had looked at the young men that were with him and said, hey, the lad and I, we're going to worship and we'll be back. And Isaac's walking up and he said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? We've got the wood, we've got the fire, we got the knife, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Son, don't you worry about it. God is going to provide himself a sacrifice. And this is the place where Isaac first had an encounter with God and his father. But now it's become a place where he's gone back to and he's learned how to build altars there. And he's learned how to dig wells there. Parents, let me tell you, there's nothing more important that you can do for your children than to teach them the worth of digging wells and building altars. Well, he may not. He may not learn. But what if he does? I've got a responsibility to teach my children how to dig wells and how to build altars. You see, some wells were fought over. Others signaled peace and prosperity. But regardless of the well and its name, regardless of all of those conditions, the water in the well was worth the struggle. The water in the well was worth the effort. Let me preach to you tonight. No matter how many rocks are in your well, it's time to dig them out. No matter how much earth is in your way, you're going to teach your children the worth of the well. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. John 4 and verse 10. I'm closing. Jesus answered and said unto her, This is the woman at the well. If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him. And he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? 
Let me just throw this in there. Where are they at? Jacob's well. Oh. Okay. Was it just Abraham's well? It wasn't just Isaac's well. But Isaac took that shovel. He said, all right, Jake. Now it's time for you to learn how to dig well. That well that Isaac's son Jacob would have dug. Now Jesus the Christ is sitting at the well with a Samaritan woman. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. God's not interested in you just having a residual film of the Holy Ghost but God's saying there's something that I want to put inside of you and that is put inside of you if you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost chapter 7 and verse 38 he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water but this spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified let me preach to you tonight that there is a well of water that's worth digging I'm telling you even in the midst of a famine even in the midst of uncertain times your children need to see you live for God now more than ever. Sometimes like this where the worth of the well becomes evident. That the well becomes priceless. And it doesn't matter what kind of gains you have made before you get to the well. Everything is predicated upon the fact that there's water in the well and I've got to get to where the water is flowing. It doesn't matter how many nice vehicles I have. It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank. It doesn't matter the clothes on my back. It doesn't matter the house that I live in. In times like this, I've got to get to the well. I've got to get to the place. Not everybody's willing to go dig a well. But I wonder tonight if I've got anybody in the house of God that'll say, you know what? I want to teach my children how to dig wells. I want to teach my children, hey, this shovel will fit your hands too. You've got to learn. You've got to learn how to dig a well.